Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the 13th Man Podcast. On this episode, we have a little bit more of a serious episode for you. Uh, we were joined by Farhan Lalji, Derek Dennis, and Justin Renfro to discuss the current ongoing protests in the United States and around the world. This episode was very important for us to put out. We want to get a little bit more of some stories of players out there for people. And more importantly, we wanted to listen ourselves. We want to be a voice for change and we want to give players a platform to voice their opinions and we're very very thankful that these three gentlemen came on with us and we think they have some absolutely fantastic talking points that we really need to listen to as a society without further ado we'll get right into that this is a highlight package of what our stream was on the other night so we hope you enjoy What's the field goal like for, for sports in this? Like on for for not just, you know, the CFL, but what's it like just overall in the, the sports world over in BC? Like for, for the Canucks, for the White Caps, all of it. You're talking about as it relates to this issue in particular? Yeah, like what are they doing in during Well, I mean, you know, right now everybody's just making statements, right? I mean, um, you know, the CFL is probably more involved, but the, the challenge is is that people aren't really centralized yet, right? So other than a statement, you know, I'm not sure there's much for any of those teams to do because their players aren't here. So I think if their players were here, you'd probably see a little bit more, you know, so we've seen individual players, Elias Patterson from the Canucks um, uh, put out a statement yesterday, which I thought was pretty good. And, uh, you know, for the, you know, for the Lions, uh, you know, a guy like Brian Burnham has been really involved in, in talking a lot about this and trying to create awareness, Ryan Phillips on their coaching staff. But Collectively, as an organization, it's pretty difficult just because they're not here, you know, other than the statements that they've made. I thought what the NFL did was fabulous, right? Uh, the, uh, the video that they did with all the top guys, just, you know, they weren't happy with the statement the league made, so they decided to, to basically push and ask for a little bit more. I, I thought it was really well done. I was interested to read that a member of the NFL social media team was involved in it with Michael Thomas. And, you know, and I thought the commissioner got behind it and, and owned it and said what he was asked to say. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a positive. But, I mean, at the end of the day, talk is good. I, I'm not one of those guys that just says it's all talk. I think talk matters. But then after that, you've probably got to take the next step, right? I mean, I, I'd really, really love to see um, NFL owners make some tangible contributions and try to make some change because, you know, you look at the whole Kaepernick thing. People want to blame the league, but it was the owners. You know, like, I mean, if you saw the article on CNN, a week ago where, where Joel Lockhart, who was with the league at the time, and he talked about Goodell and other people from the league um, that weren't comfortable with the fact that Kaepernick was out of the league. They, you know, they, they talked to owners about trying to get him signed and just nobody was comfortable signing him. And to me, I think, I think owners specifically need to do more because they're the guys that hire the GMs. They're the guys that hire the coaches. You know, not enough black people in those positions. And now you've got, you know, the Kaepernick thing. It was, it was about people not wanting to affect their business, right? And, and that's just wrong. Derek, are you trying to talk? I think you might be muted. Oh, no, no. I just, I didn't want anything in the background to disrupt uh, oh, okay. what you were saying. Yeah, I'm actually doing um, a round table I'm hosting for TSN on Monday with with Solomon and Adrian Tracy and, uh, and Nick Arbuckle on racism. Mm. Uh, just to kind of share all their experiences. You know, and, and Arbuckle is, is in an interracial marriage, right? Just had a yeah, it's first yeah. child, just so you know, he'd have an interest. Yeah, he'd have an interesting perspective as well. Right. So. That's what I'd even think of too, and that's again, yeah, that would be an interesting perspective. 
Yeah. And I mean, and you know, even for me, right. I mean, I'm, um, my wife is white. I've got mixed children. So, uh, certainly, certainly haven't experienced any racism at, at this point. Um, you know, they're only, only 11 and eight, but you know, their world's ahead of them. Yeah, honestly, uh, I mean, my perspective is different. I, I, I was asked by, uh, and Ralph of the, uh, Canadian post the other day, like if I've ever experienced racism in Canada and, of course, the level between like Canada and the U.S. is completely different. I mean, I, I've I've uh, I've always felt like, for me being an American CFL player, I was everybody knew I was only there to play football, so kind of like a like a, a visitor's party or like other you know, in these systems. Like I always equated people when they explained to me what life in Canada was like. I always thought like Indigenous people, Natives were always what. I know Americans view black people in the U.S. and uh, and I've been through instances where I've been in cities where people have just kind of judge me based off of like my looks because as I've said, my parents you would never know the type of person I am or my background or my educational background if you just judge me based off of how I look, you know how I dress. Connection is a little poor sometimes. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, sorry about that. I had to, I had to switch to my phone. Then somebody said it worked with my iPad. What up, DD? Bro, ref, what's good, brother? What's up, man? Ain't much, man. I'm out here whooping. You ain't never seen me this bad. Look at me, man. This is call, you call this the quarantine, man. That's how you know somebody's been staying inside. <laughs> Derek, you getting closer to signing with anybody? Uh, to be honest, no one's calling my phone. Uh, I, I've spoken to, uh, I got, I've been in contact with uh, G-Roy, and G-Roy kind of wanted me to come to D.C., but I don't really know what direction Ed wants to go in. So, uh, yeah. yeah, other than that, um, everybody's kind of been telling me uh, they just didn't want to spend money on, on the O-line, so I, I guess I got to wait to see uh, if the season is played. Some injuries happen. Maybe some guys don't play the way they're supposed to. It's kind of, it's kind of a wait and see now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised you didn't get snapped up pretty quick. Yeah, I, I was surprised too. I didn't, I didn't think uh, the XFL was kind of like a last resort for me. It was just like a, they, they called me up. They was willing to give me a chance to play, and I kind of just hopped on it because it was just there at the moment. And uh, the CFL, a lot of CFL teams were just giving me the runaround. I wasn't getting. I wasn't getting direct answers. I wasn't guys was telling me uh my price my price was too expensive stuff. So I don't know. I, I don't I don't I, I kinda knew something like that would happen based off the new CBA just because the language of it and how it was worded and all that. I I, I saw it's coming. I think it's gonna be a problem for a lot of veterans in the next year or two. Um, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Although I think the whole thing's gonna change again coming out of this, so Oh yeah, it's, it's gonna have to. I don't know if it's gonna change for the good or the bad, but it's gonna be some changes due to due to a, a shorter season and, and and money losses due to COVID nineteen. Yeah, I mean, I think it it might help the league's business model in the long run, but I'm not sure it's gonna help players in the short run. So, right, we'll right, see. I, I just uh, hope for playing. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too, man. Just for for a lot of talking to a lot of guys, I know a lot of guys are kind of you know trying to keep their spirits up because they're not really sure and they're not really getting direct answers. But, um, yeah, we just got to wait and see. I, I, I know here, 
the uh, the climate of how people are going about COVID is a little is not as intense as it is in Canada. I feel like the the, the directives, health directives being, you know, are a little more stern in Canada than they are here. A lot of people just been just trying to get back to life as normal. Yeah, I mean, it just depends where you are, right? I, like in in BC. Yeah we got hit the first, right? Because it's a port city. And right. so, you know, the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, our numbers here were, were the worst in Canada, but they got on it really, really quick. And now, you know, it's like we're under 200 cases total. And, you know, you get like anywhere from, you know, four to nine new cases a day. We're like 26 cases in the hospital province-wide, only six in ICU. So the curve's getting right. flattened pretty quick here. But, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, most of Western Canada is good, really. It's just Toronto and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I was about to say that. I'm about to say that it's, it's really the the uh, Ontario province that's really having the most issues. Everybody else seems to have it under control. Yeah, Toronto and Quebec are really bad. They didn't take it. They weren't as aggressive in the beginning, you know. And now we've started loosening up here uh, and getting into phase two and phase three, probably less than a month away. So it's pretty good here, yeah. relatively. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to be a transition. It's going to get to a point, maybe probably a year from now, when it's going to become kind of synonymous with like how the flu is. They won't report numbers every day. It'll be more like a yearly thing and it'll always be around. I think people just have to learn how to live with it. Yeah, you're probably right. Basically, you know, we're going to let you guys have the floor. You guys can talk. Um, basically, we just want to give people a chance to, to listen, educate themselves on everything that's going on. Um, if you have any questions, any explaining, I feel like we'll, we'll ask those questions when need be, but, we want to hear from, from you guys, your experiences, what you think needs to be done, what people can do to help create positive change and you know actual change for the future that this doesn't happen again, where these, like where everyone, you know, where you guys are heard and voices continuously are heard from now till always. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll set it off. Um, uh, in a sense of just the overall topic of of racism and just, you know, in, in a world spectrum light of it, I honestly don't think, I mean, I've said this before, I've talked to a lot of CFO guys before, it's a topic that's going to take a very long time to get to get to see any change in it. I think right now what's going on and what you're seeing in the world in terms of riots and looting and all that stuff, yeah, I, I don't condone it, I don't agree with it, but now you're just starting to see the frustrations of people who have been dealing with so so many negative things for years and years and years that I think people are just, some people are getting fed up and they just don't know how to express it. And some people are just, you know, just trying to find ways to like, like, like let loose that anger. I think, uh, I think for me, I equate that to how I use the game of football. Football has always been an outlet, a positive outlet for me to let, you know, aggressions out that have probably, you know, could came out in, in other ways that other people just don't have that outlet to, to let it out in a light where people look at it positively. Um, it's a it's a hard topic to talk about with a lot of people. It's a hard topic that a lot of people don't want to address. But I think um, I, I think it's it's something that was like, you know, just it was due. Like it was something that was due to happen. It was something that was going to come about, and it was something that was just, you know, gonna gonna have a, a negative a negative effect on on certain people in, in their view of them. Yeah, you know, for for me, I think the timing of this is 
remarkable, right? Because like, why now, right? Why was George Floyd the tipping point? Like George Floyd is, was not necessarily a virtuous person, right? I mean, he, you know, he had his flaws and things like that. And, you know, so, but, but why now, why did he become the symbol? Right. And, and certainly the fact that it was recorded in social media and everything like that, it's changed. But, um, you know, for me, I think it's the virus, right? Like I, I really think the virus has forced so many people to not have distractions, right? Like we have to stare at this issue right now. And in previous times when, when anything bad happened, you know, everybody just kind of found, you know, we talked about it, we raged about it, we moved on really quickly, right? So I, I think, um, you know, a lot of frustrations around the virus and just the fact that there's no distractions and you're forced to see what's going on and watch the coverage. I think it really has been good because we, we needed to have something like this to make this, you know, combustible situation just kind of happen and, and, and force some change to happen, right? And I think now, the number of people that are involved, I think you might see change. And to, to Derek's point, I mean, it's going to take time because it's not about George Floyd and it's not about one incident. It's about a systematic problem, right? And when you look at, you know, what has led to the oppression and what's kept black people that even after a war that you fought in, you know, that where the country has won, but really things didn't change for them, whether it was Martin Luther King's era, whether it was whether it was Rodney King, whether it's now, right? I mean, we, we now have to look at this in a different way. And so many people are involved. And one of the things I love about this is that you have to take sides. You have to take sides. And so, so many times previously, certain players or certain people could just wash their hands of it and say, like, this isn't my thing. Like, I feel you, but it's not my thing. And I'm just going to stay in the background here. Everybody of note, everybody with any kind of platform has to take sides. And I think it might force us to get into some more meaningful change. That change is going to take a while. There's a lot of different solutions to it from policing to schooling and economics and everything like that. It takes a while to see that, but this is forcing us all to take a meaningful look, not just kind of getting in and out after a couple of days. Yeah. So I, I agree. Farhan, hi. I didn't, I'm learning hey, too. So I didn't even realize we were in here, but yeah. Uh, I agree with him. It's uh, it's pretty much that like that fork in the road. You're either going this way or that way, and uh, like like he said, even down to the NFL, they they basically said they were wrong for what they did to Kaepernick. So, you know, uh, I've been getting emails because I'm I'm in the U.S., so I'm getting all the emails now from all the different companies, Amazon, Uber, Ben and Jerry's. I mean, Ben and Jerry's put out a pretty good one. Yeah, they literally. It listed every every killing that's happened, and it's listed the normal, I, I guess, the normal act of just living that the person was doing while uh, when they got shot. Like, uh, and so I think when you start looking at that, and again, like like uh, Farhan said, uh, you know, everybody's home, and so every person saw CNN because nobody can be out right now. So especially in the U.S. and and that's the thing I I uh, I noted too about the cities that had heavy rioting and stuff on CNN and me and my mom noted it's all the cities that you're supposed to be inside right now. New York City, places that had really bad COVID, California had really bad COVID. Those are all the places where people came out, and we had you know it was quite big issues like Oakland all those fires and stuff, New York City, you know, there was pretty, 
the incidents between the protesters and the police in New York City were they were interesting, but uh, it was, again, it's something because so many people were there. And uh, yeah, I think, and then to get on, I guess, the uh, change part or how things could be different. I mean, uh, me personally, I've been, tr I've, uh, been trying to donate to different organizations. Uh, I'm doing a fundraiser for Campaign Zero, which is that's uh, legislation along with actual policing and things like that. And they're, they're going from the legislation to the police academy and they're reforming the whole thing. And then I've also, uh, it's project bailout as well. I, uh, I just donated on my own. I just donated, uh, I think it was like 150 and that goes straight uh, directly to, uh, to bailing people out who protested. And so I think that's the biggest thing we can do right now is work on getting the legislation. And I mean, we, you can't do anything while we're waiting for the cases. I mean, I think people might have to, once the cases and the trials start this, not necessarily protest, but you know, things need to be reminded of what's being fought for and whatnot. Oops. Sorry. Yes. Things need to be, basically reminded to people because you know how the court system is it could be three four months till this is even heard for an arraignment or anything so people will need to be reminded and whatnot. yeah and for me I, like i just i want to see some sort of coordinated plan like i, I want to know like I'll, I'll ask you guys like what for you would make you think that something meaningful has happened here as a result of this right because like i look at it i thought the players coalition um, you know, down in the U.S. made a made a pretty good statement because it had some action items and what they specifically want to see. And there's money going to all these different organizations. And I hope there's some sort of streamlined effort because if it was me, mm -hmm. like I think that money needs to go to lawyers and lobbyists because the you know the biggest problem for me as it relates to policing and I, and I compare it to Canada is there's a different level of education for police here and and not that Canada's perfect. I'm, I'm not suggesting it is. But these no. things don't happen en masse in Canada because, you know, in the U.S., there's so many layers of policing. You know, you start mm -hmm. with the military and you work your way down and you get the U.S. Marshals and then you get you get um, state police, you get county sheriffs, you get university police. Like there's so many levels of policing and you can't fill all the jobs. If, if you want to be a police officer here, it's like you're in the RCMP and then certain really large cities have their own municipal polices, municipal police forces, but that's it. So like in BC, if you want to go to the Justice Institute, you probably need at least a two-year diploma before you can even get into the Justice Institute, right? The, the education right. you need to become a police officer is, is really hard here relative to the states. And so when you look at states like yeah. New Jersey, right? Like New Jersey spent a lot of money on um, desensitivity and de-escalation training and things like this. And that really helps because you see less of that type of violence there, right? Because so you get, you get an uneducated police officer who probably could never get a job where he would have power over anybody in the real world. But now he's got a gun and he's got authority. And if he's got a racist bent to him, he might have a little fear. So you're going to go pull somebody over for a speeding ticket. You're a little afraid. You're a little racist. You think the guy's got a gun because everybody in America has got a gun. So now it becomes pretty combustible, right? So I, I think if they could, if they could take the money, divert it into legislation around law enforcement, lobbying the unions, right? So that you can be transparent. So a guy like Derek Chauvin can't have all the problems he had and still have a job. 
right? Because the unions protect them. You know, so there, there's so many layers of it that we need, we need lawyers and lobbyists to go and make sure that there's, there's meaningful change. And, you know, and like even when you lobby on education, like you talk about a, a systematic oppression problem, one of the big issues is education because um, you go to a black area and the schools don't have much. And why don't they have much? Well, because they don't pay as much in the way of property taxes. So the school's got no, they've got nothing. But if you took it out of those hands and now all of a sudden the states handed out money and kept everything equal, you know, you might be in a situation where kids could get better education. So it's just, it's multi-layered and there needs to be a streamlined effort, a coordinated attack to make this work and to get some real change. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with Farhan is saying, um, my opinions of it, just based on somebody who's lived through it and been through it, everything is just so deeply rooted that sometimes it's as a as a black person, it's very hard to see to see or think that there's going to be real change, like significant change. Um, like I'm I'm super proud of watching like you know all the people that's that's coming out. And you know, donating money and 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 like how far and said, there's all these programs and and stuff that the money goes to, but to to know the people who have to like who really need that stuff, no one knows how to get to those programs. No one knows how to get that help. No one knows where that money's going. So even though you hear all these people coming out and they're saying I'm donating a hundred million, I'm donating this, I'm donating that, after you you hear them donate that money, no one knows what happens to that money when it gets there. I think. I think having people in positions that could really, you know, affect change is is the key. But the problem is it's so deeply rooted in our in our in American society, I can only speak to it, it's so deeply rooted that it's very hard for people of color to get to positions of power without having someone that's not a person of color champion their cause. I think I think my my feelings of of things uh, an, an action plan or something that's going to really cause like real change is for the black community to want to make their own things. Like a lot of times, at least you know, as a black kid, we're always taught that you know sports is our way out of the ghetto. You know, we're not taught to want to be lawyers. We're not taught to want to be doctors. We're not taught to want to be the president of the United States. That's why it was so big when Barack won because. That was the first time, if you're a person of color, you've seen, you've seen a, someone who had some type of black lineage be at the highest, the high, what we quote unquote the pinnacle of, of American society, being a U.S. president. But I, I know from experience, going to school in poor neighborhoods, they don't teach you anything. The programs are not, they're not, they're not built to teach you to be something. They're just pushing kids through to keep getting state funding. They're just pushing kids through to keep, you know, getting whatever money that they can get for the teachers, my high school went through a whole scandal with guidance counselors pushing kids through and forging paperwork and just, you know, not trying to push kids to want to be better and not pushing kids to want to do anything. The, I, honestly, the reason why I even made it as far as I did in life is because I had parents who who went through bad circumstances and they fought to get somewhere where they was and they tried to push me to be better, even though they had no clue how to push me to be better. And I still had to rely on other people to try to put me in that direction, I think that's something that's that's so deeply rooted that it's, it's, it's going to be hard. Like I said, like, real change, I'm not going to see real change. I don't even know if my kids is going to see real, real change. I don't even know if my kids' kids are going to see real change. But it's something now, I think, 
the topic being discussed, like, like, uh, like I, I get, I get upset because people think that all of this is happening just because of police brutality. Police brutality is just a small part of the whole picture. It's just something that's kind of bringing light to everything. Um, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's deeply rooted in everything. The NCAA and how they treat their athletes. It's, it's horrible to be honest. It's, you know, like, like Farhan was saying in neighborhoods, banks would redline, you know what I'm saying? That's how ghettos and all that stuff was started with redlining and, and not putting money into certain neighborhoods and certain demographics so that others had a chance. I remember a high school taking an SAT. I took it at a black high school and it probably was the hardest test I've ever seen in my life. I took it again at a white high school and I scored higher than I ever could before. The test was so easy. The questions were so simple. Like it's just little stuff like that that a lot of people just don't realize that it's, it's again, like I said, it's so deeply rooted. The only way you can find change is that you have to put people who want to see change and want to see positivity in every single leadership role there is. Like, it's not just one one spot that you got to attack. It has to be, like, the entire system in general that needs to be rewritten and rewrote. But but it's been going on for so long, it's just, it's, it's hard to, to know there's going to be real change. Any change that you see is going to be, it's going to be minute. It's not going to be big. It's going to be very small. It's going to affect a very small group. It's not going to affect the overall group. So I think, I think the, the discussion of it going right now, I just hope that it continues. I hope it doesn't pass, you know, five months from now, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. It has to continually be talked about, continually be addressed. And I hope eventually as generations come along, there's going to be enough people to start teaching generations how to how to view life differently, how to want to see life differently, and that's that I think is the first place that change probably needs to be taking place is that it has to start in your own home and then reach out to others. I think as long as you still got people out there that's teaching negative negativity in their homes, it's still going to be it's still going to be around in some way, shape, or form, and it's still going to affect people. I think the overall message is we have to learn how to how as, as as a as a human race, learn how to to you know work with each other and assimilate each other. I, I I stated before, I think a football locker room is what the world should want to achieve to be because you got a you got a, a room full of people of different ethnicities, different races, different you know um, social backgrounds, different religions, everything, and it, we all have one common goal that we have to achieve that forces us to get to know each other, to get to work with each other. We, we don't all view life the same. We don't all have the same beliefs in anything, but we know that when you, when you put in, when you put in blood, sweat and tears and pain with somebody, it builds a certain relationship with that person, a certain respect that you, that, that you, that you carry with you through life. Um, I think that's something that the world is surely missing in all aspects for anybody, of any human race, any color, any race, any ethnicity is that we haven't found something that's going to keep keep us all on that same track. Daddy, we go well, it's it's yeah. a great point talking about a football locker room and you know what what we want the world to look like. But even in a football locker room, right? I mean, it's you know a lot of college coaches and people have talked about that today in the last couple of days. That you you know how do you really feel about each other? Because we understand in the locker room and on the field, everybody feels really strongly about each other. But that needs to get carried outside. It needs to get carried yeah. off the field. It needs to get carried into day-to-day -day life. And if you're a fan, you know, Tom Herman talked about this today, the head coach of Texas. And it was interesting that he did it because he's in Texas, right? And for guys like him and Lincoln Riley and some of the other guys in the South that have made their statements, it's tough to do in that part of the world. And he's like, hey, 
you guys cheer for these players on Saturday. You cheer for them when they score touchdowns. You cheer for them when you get sacks. But would you let them marry your daughter? Right? And so, you know, we, we see that melting pot effect of a football team and in sport. And we sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that's real life. You know, and, and I don't know if you've had it, Derek, where, where a guy that you've um, felt one way about in the locker room kind of lets you down outside the locker room because maybe he doesn't believe the same or that sense of brotherhood isn't there. And that needs to be, you know, that, that's something that needs to be taught. You know, I've coached high school football for 31 years, and I've really been one of those guys that thinks that football is the best life lesson. You know, and it's for some of the reasons that Derek talks about that we've got so many ethnicities. Like I remember the first year I coached, I had nine different ethnicities in my starting 11 on the football field. Right. And I thought that was such a cool part of what we did, but did they really understand each other and what they were going through afterwards? So I think as a coach, it's important that we not just say the sport is going to affect change. People in the sport need to affect change because change goes beyond a locker room and change goes beyond just what you see on the field. There is still a real life element to what has to happen. And we have to change it, right? And, you know, and Derek, I know you say that it's going to take generations. And you're right. Like, for, the, for a complete change where there's no racism, it's going to take generations, you know, much like it's taken to this point. But I, I challenge everybody who feels oppressed to recognize small change when it happens. Because in this process, you get guys like, like Drew Brees, for example, okay? Now, you know, if, if you know Drew Brees, you probably don't believe he's racist. But he, he still made a tone-deaf comment that was out of touch where he prioritized the flag above what was really more important than the flag. And so then all of a sudden, he thinks about it, has a lot of dialogue about it, realized that he made a mistake, and then came up with a, with a fairly heartfelt apology. And, you know, there's so many people who say, well, he was forced into that. You know, he's now just pandering to Democrats. And so they don't want to recognize the fact that, you know, maybe he did learn. Maybe, you know, he's starting the process of learning that what he said was wrong. And it's not, you know, like allow people to learn, allow people to show you that, yeah, okay, I'm changing. I'm different today than I was yesterday. Because if, that, if we allow for that to happen, we feel better about where we're going as a society. And it keeps everybody motivated to try to do more and more and more because you now see some success. Whereas if you don't look at success, even when it might be there, even in even small S success, like just a tiny bit, if you don't see that, it makes it really hard to stay positive and stay motivated about what your, your actions are and the fact that what you're doing is actually affecting change. And uh, I think also getting back to uh, the point about the timing and the levels of policing, I also, I think it's a big, it's a big issue that in eight, like here in eight months, you can become a police officer. In the state of Pennsylvania and state of New Jersey, you're not even allowed to do hair without 10 months of experience, but you're allowed to hold a gun and go and go police, but you can't do hair. So that, for me, that was eye-opening when I, when that uh, was brought up on the news. And I think that's a, that's really a big, uh, and then also we were talking about legislation. So I feel like that's a piece of legislation that can be dealt with kind, kind of quickly. And uh, again, going to the you know, I, in Calgary, they have peace officers and things like that. And I think we might need to, instead of like, like uh, your, uh, Farhan was speaking about the university police, and I know in Philly, we have SEPTA police, and then we also have transit police. There's all these different types of police, like the transit police and SEPTA police should be peace officers, just like the Canadian model, for sure, because they're, they're patrolling people on the public transit. And then, you know, some of the 
I being knowing some of the U.S. colleges, I understand why they have college police. Like Derek went to Temple, he'll tell you they need to have their own ca- campus police. So it's it's different. Different places require different things, but there are certain levels of police that probably need to be trained more, and then some that could be eliminated or their level kind of dropped. And also, I think that they need to have those kind of tiers of policing also as like moving forward as kind of a demerit system. If you, if not necessarily mess up, but if you get hurt in the NBA, you go to the G League. So you, you mess up as a police officer, you go to the peace officer's court for a bit. Kind of, you got to That's gotta tough, show though, if they've all got a gun, though, JR. Oh, okay. Oh, they do. You, you know what I mean? Like, if, if a, let's say a peace officer yeah. can't carry that, had to carry something else. Like, it's tough when they've all got a gun and they're all trying to flex and, you oh, know, like... Yeah. Right. Yeah, that is true. Well, right, right. You know, things like well, that's 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 the point. That's the point that Farhan made before is that um, the process to go through to become a police officer or any type of you know person in that in the in the justice system, it's not it's not very hard. Like, um, yeah, I think it's only eight what months. like a eight months. Yeah, eight months. yeah, less. Uh, I I think I think Don Jackson actually tweeted it like how long it takes in certain places for person to become a police officer and you know like far said in canada you have to have some type of form of education in order to you know enter the program down here it's high school dropouts doing it guys who you know who didn't Only have anything yeah. yeah guys who you know didn't even think about going to college joining the military and learning how to be you know a killer in a sense and learning how to work a weapon and having that right to have a weapon like it's just it's just I think it's just because of so many people here in the U.S. and because, you know, the mindset, too, of being American and being, being uh, you know, proud to be an American is always associated with power. When you think, when you talk to other people from other countries, they always associate Americans with arrogance, with stupidity, with, you know, certain stuff like that. And that's just, that's just entrenched in us so bad that you can be, you know, you, you cannot be that way, but as soon as you tell somebody, oh, I'm American, they, they assume. You know, it's the same thing with, with being black. You could be a black person and be educated and be a doctor and do this, but they just see a black person and they assume that you're a certain way. I think that's just something like you got to find ways to just kind of teach that that ideology out of people. You got to find ways to just to just uproot the thinking because if if joining the military and being a cop and all you're thinking of is, I'm being an American, you know, I'm going to be somebody who could, you know, you know, put force on people and keep justice and keep order, but they don't have the proper education to know how to do those things. You're going to always have these instances. Like, well, you're one, of the get- things, one of the things that bugs me, like, you know, you talk about that in terms of people making assumptions. It's like white society feels that a black person needs to whiten in order to show yeah. his education. Like you can't talk yeah. a certain way. Like if you if you talk like a black guy, you know, if you use acts instead of ask, people are gonna assume you're, yeah. you're stupid. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you can articulate yeah. yourself the way Barack Obama did, okay, well now you're educated and you're a little bit different, right? So yeah. I, I think that's and, and truthfully, I think sometimes that's difficult on both sides. Because you know, mm-hmm. I know that for example, in Seattle, it's different now, but there was a time in Russell Wilson's career where he didn't have the full buy-in of the locker room. Right. And right. a lot of that was cultural because a lot of players in that room felt he presented as a white guy. Yeah. And, and that needs to, sometimes that's a two way discussion. 
because we want white people to accept black people for how they are, but sometimes black people need to accept black people for how they are. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, That's very true. And uh, it's like, and I was, I was going to bring up this point uh, also as well with what Derek talked about previously. Uh, be it so in kindergarten, my parents worked hard and moved us out into the white suburbs. And I was the only black kid in the school pretty much until we, my parents transferred me to private school. But I went into school every, every day. I had teachers telling me I was going to be nothing as a third grader. And things, things like that going on. And my parents finally made the decision. They're like, and they sat me down. And that was kind of the education talk. Like, they're like, you better, we're spending this money to go to this private school because we see how the people are treating you. But this is, you got to do right. Like, they didn't even say it necessarily sports. Obviously, I was already getting letters and stuff. But my mom was really on me about the schoolwork. But she was like, this is your ticket. We're spending your college fund to put you in this private school so you don't have to face these people. And so that us moving out here was to get better schooling. But then I ended up going back to the private school because in the city, because they were trying to put me in special ed classes, tell not, not let me do stuff. And my parents were the only family. It was six black kids in the school. My parents were the only ones who would be up there. So all the rest of those kids were in special ed classes in the slow track, everything. I was the only one in the advanced classes by the time we left middle school. And so yeah, that's, that's the same, that's how things go. And that's how it really is. Like automatically you're black, you get put into this. Automatically you're black. My mom, they automatically, cause I was black. I had to, I, they, uh, they were gonna put me on the drums. Well, I wanted to play the alto saxophone. My mom had to go to the school to let me play the alto saxophone wow. in the band. So like that's it's like that rooted, you know, and I and we and that's the other thing growing up in the area since kindergarten, you know who the that's, that's that's pretty much that's that's like growing up as a black Yeah, I think I think that's, that's what it is for us is we learn how to, you know, spot the negative people. We're taught how to carry ourselves in certain neighborhoods. We're taught how to exactly. yeah. assimilate just to survive. And it's, just, it's, it's hard. It's a hard reality. But I mean, I, I hope that, you know, the events of what's going on right now is going to bring some type of warranted change. And like most people are saying, it's not just people of color that need to say something. It's other people who don't deal with it on a daily basis, who don't live that life. They need to speak up for us as well, because the more people that's champion the cause, the, the better chance it has to, to, to be effective. And if I can just chime in here for a second too, like hearing you guys say that, it's not only eye-opening, it's also heartbreaking because I'm a white kid. I, I grew up in a, in a wealthy neighborhood with, you know, well-funded schools. I never had to go through anything like that. So when I was growing up, you know, you, you never really look at other schools and say, well, you know, there's more money here than there is there. You just kind of think everything is the same. And as you mature and you start to grow up, you realize that that's not necessarily the truth. And, you know, to, to kind of hear you guys say that, you know, it, it's, it is really eye opening. And I guess as white people, we really do, we have to let down our guard. We have to listen to what you guys are saying. We have to, you know, fight for equal rights for everybody that all that stuff. Like we have to, to start listening more than, than we have been in the past for sure. 
Frankie, yeah, thanks I'm, so much for having me. Hey, bud, I got yeah, to run and get off, but I appreciate uh, Yeah, I got to take off, discussion. too. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Nice guys. talking to y'all, fellas. Thanks, guys. All right. I was, well, I was actually really well informed. I, uh, you know, I was actually, you know, unfortunately, some guys didn't make it, but that, that is what it is. That's the, the life. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, my phone's about to die. I was getting nervous. I was getting nervous because I'm below 5%. I was like, <laughs> Oh shoot! If we go any longer, it's gonna die. But no, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I was yeah. Uh, All right, you guys stay uh, safe and thanks for having me. And I'll, I'll talk to you. Thank soon. you for coming on. Hey, we appreciate it. Uh huh. Bye bye. All right. Well, unfortunately, everyone had to leave. I wish uh, we were able to plan it a little bit better, but you know that's how it goes with things like that. Thank you guys for watching. I hope for the ones that stayed, it was informative. If uh, Hopefully the guys that were supposed to come on, we can rearrange something and we can have those guys on to talk about it. It was uh, it was a pleasure for, for them to take time out to talk to us about everything. Yeah, I mean, I hope that, you know, down the road we can, you know, start listening. I think the hope for tonight was just to kind of have some stories shared, have people a little bit more informed and ultimately too as well for – for us to learn a little bit more as well. Cause like we've mentioned multiple times in our episodes, we, we don't know what it's like to grow up and, and live with these kind of, you know, discriminations and, and prejudices. So it's always important to, to be able to take that in, learn and, and grow as a person. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely eye opening to hear their experience about what they had to deal with, especially when it came to schooling. Yeah. You know, I think, we take a lot of things for granted when it comes to schooling, especially in Ottawa. Um, so to hear, hear it coming from that perspective, it's, it's relatively eye-opening, I find. Yeah. Yeah, like, like I said, before everybody hopped off there, it's, it's something that we didn't grow up with. Uh, and, and when you're growing up, you know, you don't really think that people are treated differently based on, you know, the color of their skin or their gender or anything. But the matter of the fact is that does happen. And we have to stop pretending like it doesn't, uh, not, you know, everybody, there's certain people that certainly don't pretend that it's not happening, but, uh, I think there's, there's too much of that going on. And I think it's time to spark real change. And hopefully as Derek was saying, it doesn't take generations to make actual change. I hope that we can, as a society come together and, and stop it. I, I don't understand why ending racism is a debate. It shouldn't be, this should be, you know, straightforward, everybody should be equal. I, I don't understand why we can't get there. Yeah, I mean, we're, myself and you, you know, we're, you know, late teens, early 20s. We're the generation that can, can spark a lot of this change. You know, we can grow up, have our kids, teach our kids that, you know, to not see color at first. And I think that's where the things lie, is where people who are having kids, no matter how old they are, you can create change. You can start the change by teaching your kids not to see color. Racism is a taught thing. You know, you don't, you don't, you're not born racist. It's, you know, it's upsetting to see that people are teaching children racist ways. I, I hope that like that has to end. Um, it's, it's really disappointing. And Farhan was also mentioning the, uh, the, the Texas football coach that came out and was talking. And I, I think that is, so so true you know don't celebrate when your player scores a touchdown if like it's 
it's heartbreaking to, to know that there are people out there that will just judge someone or not hire someone or whatever based on the color of their skin. Yeah, and I mean, I think as, as white people, we, we don't see that things. Like, we don't see that stuff very often. We, like, as someone who didn't grow up in the most financial, like, the best financial situation, you know, I still understood that because I was white, I was looked at differently. Yeah, I did have the money that, you know, some of other friends and, and people that I knew had. Um, I, I still knew that being white, I had advantages. I had uh, an edge for someone who isn't white. And you have to acknowledge, you have to accept the fact that that's, that you're not, no one chooses to be born the way they are. It's a matter of what you do with that privilege that you're given. And we need to accept the fact that we've been given a privilege and, and make the most of it. We need to make our voices heard in a way that benefits everybody. We have a power. We have the power to help change and help create change. We just need to shut up and listen and work with and not against, you know, the, the black and the people of color communities that are affected by this oppression and systematic racism that, you know, put them behind the eight ball, even when, like, even before they go to school. And again, I think that's what tonight was about. Tonight was about listening. We didn't do a whole lot of talking. And I'm really appreciative that uh, Farhan, Derek, and Justin were able to come on with us. We really do appreciate it. Uh, you know, the, we'll see what we can do with the guys who were supposed to come on that didn't end up get, uh, catching up with us tonight. It happens. Um, no, for sure. But, um, <laughs> you know, if they, uh, they want to offer up some thoughts, we'll, we'll see what we can do, I think. Hey, if they want to come on and have their own three three man party we're definitely, definitely yeah well, i think we're probably going to use some of this for tuesday's episode so if they get back to us we'll just stitch it in there too <laughs> we'll see we'll see how things go uh thank you guys for watching we will be signing off now and you know for for you all who've stuck through i hope you learned a little bit you understood where their perspectives and you know hopefully we'll we we might actually we might have to actually have to start doing this on a regular basis for sure. Um, but thank you guys for, for joining. We appreciate it. Uh, we will catch you on our next episode. And if you haven't had a chance, uh, we had two episodes from last week. Natea J from the Toronto Argonauts and uh, Chad Jeter from the Saskatchewan Roughriders join us last week. So head on over to Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor to give them a Give them a listen. If you like it, rate us five stars, share it. Follow us on Instagram at 13th Man Pod as well as on Twitter and also on our Facebook page uh, for the 13th Man Podcast on Facebook. Hope you guys have a great one. We will catch you next time. This is it. See you.